part three section two chapter eighteen b of organic evolution this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. organic evolution by richard swan lull chapter eighteen b adaptive radiation successive radiations in time osborne recognizes three successive radiations among mammals of which the first however that during the mesozoic was comparatively unimportant because of the terrestrial dominance of the dinosaurs and other reptiles during this radiation the known mammals were all small although differentiated into two or three phyla from the standpoint of their dentition and implied feeding habits thus some were insectivorous some perhaps more distinctly carnivorous and some herbivorous possibly fruit or nut-eating perhaps seed-eating basal eocene it was not until the great reptilian extinctions at the close of the cretaceous that the mammals really had their opportunity at least in the known fossil-bearing regions and with the vacating of the terrestrial realm by the huge cold-blooded brutes the higher creation began its deployment in the known areas paleontologists soon find records of carnivorous forms of various sorts swift cursorial ungulates and slow-moving grotesquely armed types there were also sloth-like forms and probably ancestral marsupials of all these so-called archaic mammals but few survived the eocene some were sooner or later rendered extinct through competition with invaders of the third or tertiary radiation others may have evolved into certain of the higher types yet others driven southward into neogaea and notogaea may have formed the stock of part at least of their subsequent faunas when isolation closed the door upon later invaders these archaic mammals their adaptations and their defects will be discussed more at length in chapter thirty two the tertiary radiation was the great arctogaean radiation of modern mammals so called because their descendants still exist at all events no higher group has appeared and the story of mammalian evolution in this world owing to the present dominance of man is virtually over whence the progenitors of the modernized mammals came we have no positive knowledge but circumstantial evidence points to boreal horlarctica the circumpolar lands of the northern hemisphere as their pristine home for in the cretaceous and early eocene indications point to a warm climate and abundant forestation in the north ideal conditions for the well-being of the nodal type and its immediate derivatives increasing cold in the northland drove forests and their fauna south 
down to the three great continental axes, so that we find creatures of much the same sort, such as the ancestral horses, appearing synchronously in the old world and in the new. Early in the Eocene, their deployment was well under way. The Oligocene saw certain lines already approaching racial death, and others wondrously varied while during the Miocene the culmination was reached, and never before nor since was there so great a mammalian fluorescence. By the Pliocene they had begun to wane. The mammals of today, including man himself, are the remnant of this tertiary radiation. Tooth Radiation The mammals are, with few exceptions, characterized by a heterodont dentition, that is, the teeth, in contrast to those of most reptiles, for instance, are differentiated into several sorts, with, as a rule, very distinct functions. Those in the front of the mouth, the incisors, are mainly prehensile, the canines grasping, tearing, or for defense or offense, the premolars sometimes shearing, or, like the molars, grinding teeth. The last-mentioned molars and premolars show the greatest structural modification to meet their owner's requirements, the incisors and canines being more conservative, as their use shows less variation in the different orders. The insectivorous type, those of the stem form, are low-crowned, simple, with few cusps, generally sharp-pointed and suitable for crushing feeble prey. With the carnivores, the cheek-teeth become high-crowned, trenchant, shearing structures, and the jaws have little or no lateral play. This reaches its highest specialization in the cats, wherein the true grinding teeth are almost entirely wanting. In the dogs, with a less exclusive diet, more of the grinders are retained, although the shearing teeth are well developed, while in the bears, carnivores with a strong tendency toward a herbivorous diet, the cheek teeth are broad-crowned, tuberculate grinding organs, and shearing teeth are wanting, Carrion feeding forms have, as a rule, blunter teeth, while in fish-eating creatures, like the seals, the teeth have become secondarily simplified and are all prehensile. The toothed whales have lost their tooth differentiation, and the teeth are practically all alike, simple, slightly recurved, grasping cones. The teeth are sometimes absent in the upper jaw, and in the whalebone whales they are entirely absent, except for functionless vestiges in the unborn young, and their place is taken by the curious baleen or whalebone, which hangs from the palate, and by means of which small mollusks are strained out of the water to serve for food. Herbivorous forms have the incisors fitted for seizing and cutting the vegetation. In the ruminants, however, 
they are absent in the upper jaw, the lower incisors biting against a horny pad. Canine teeth are of little importance to the herbivore unless they are used for defense, or, as in the swine, for uprooting the vegetation upon which it feeds. The grinders vary amazingly in the pattern of the cusps and crests borne upon the crown, but in general may be divided into short-crowned brachiodont teeth fitted for succulent leaves and twigs, or long-crowned hypsodont teeth, whose great length and complex structure are adapted to meet the wear imposed by the harsh grasses and other vegetation which form the staple of a grazing animal. Perhaps the greatest degree of perfection has been reached by the modern horse along one line of descent, and the elephant, more especially the extinct Siberian mammoth, along another. As we have seen, a carnivore like the bear may become adapted to an all-round diet, and hence be omnivorous. But the term is best applied to a direct line of evolution from the insectivorous stock, such as the primates, and especially mankind. Here the incisors and canines show little distinction, and the cheek teeth are very simple and primitive with bicuspid premolars and molars, with few, four or five, low cusps. The myrmecophagus type represents the height of specialization, for in its extreme development the teeth have utterly disappeared, the jaws are reduced, the mouth is incapable of opening except at the extreme anterior end, and has become tubular, with a highly extensile and prehensile tongue. This organ is provided with an adhesive substance, and when thrust into an anthill and withdrawn, brings away great numbers of the unfortunate insects, which are swallowed without mastication. As a special adaptation to such rather insurgent prey, the interior nostrils are carried far backward so as to be in direct communication with the windpipe to prevent any of the creatures from wandering the wrong way. An analogous adaptation is seen in the marsupials to avoid suffocation when the milk is forced into the mouth of the feeble young by the mother's muscles, and in the whales, and again in the crocodiles, both of which devour their prey under the water and would run the risk of strangulation were it not for this device. Summary We have thus emphasized the wonderful plasticity of living beings, which, in their efforts to find food and safety, become adapted in the course of time to all possible conditions of life, earth, air, water, the most salubrious, as well as the most forbidding wastes, and have shown that these adaptations are chiefly concerned with those parts most closely in contact with the environment, the feet for safety, and the teeth for food. The soft parts are generally more conservative, and while feet and teeth undergo their marvelous changes, internal organs, 
except such as are again directly concerned with diet or locomotion, may remain comparatively unaltered. We find that nature does repeat herself, but never exactly. Nevertheless, some remarkable convergences of unrelated animals are recorded. The final truth is that a highly adapted or specialized form becomes, as it were, stereotyped and incapable of radical change, and, with altering conditions, may succumb where a less specialized and therefore more plastic race, meeting the changed requirements, survives. End of chapter 18